she made a, a very poor decision. Now, truth be told, she made a very bad decision. It was, it was a sinful decision. And it was one that I, I'm sure, if given the chance, she would have tried to justify, as many of us do when we make bad decisions in life. But truth be told, there was no excuse to justify her actions. You know, the thing in life that so often people forget is that with every action, there's going to be a ripple effect of consequences. You know, God, well, God has always taken the vow of marriage to be a, a very serious thing. So much so that if you go back to the old law in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, there it says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. So in the ancient Jewish world, adultery was a capital offense. And while this is no longer the case, it does not diminish in the eyes of God how important marriage truly is. We live in a culture, we live in a culture that oftentimes does not condemn infidelity. We live in a culture that oftentimes will cheer it on. They'll cheer and encourage people on to be with someone who makes them happy no matter what the cost. Even if that someone is already with someone else and already has a family. No, our society, unfortunately, does not condemn infidelity nearly as much as it does cheer it on. And all in the name of one's own personal, individual happiness. They would say that this behavior is acceptable. But it should never be seen that way by a child of God's. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You go back to Leviticus, the law of Moses is very black and white. If you step outside of the bounds of your marriage, the penalty for that was death. Now, if fulfilling the law, if that was the only motivation that some scribes and Pharisees had one day when they brought a woman caught in the act of adultery before Jesus. They would have executed both her and the one she was caught with in the moment. There would have been no hesitation. But that wasn't their priority. That really wasn't what motivated them in that moment. They were more concerned about getting Jesus, not about enforcing the law of Moses. You see, it was already at a point where there were those who were seeking to kill Jesus. If you go over to John chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went about Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. 
So they wanted Jesus dead. So how are they going to go about getting him dead? Well, they're going to begin by trying to trap him. That's what we see unfolding here in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. It says, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. Now, let this, let this scene set in for just a moment. I mean, can you imagine? It's just a normal day. Jesus is he's in the temple. <clears throat> he's teaching those who want to be taught. And in come the scribes and the Pharisees with this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, as we're about to see. So here's this woman, and they put this woman right in the midst of this Bible class. Ooh, boy. All of a sudden, Bible class just got a lot more interesting, didn't it? All of a sudden, everybody in the room is awake and paying attention. If there would have been cell phones, they would have been put down or would have been on record to see what happens next. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. This is bad news for her. In other words, there's no way she can say, that wasn't me. Uh, that was a horrible rumor that went around about me. Y'all are, are just judging me. That, that wasn't me. You, you heard about somebody else. No, they've, they've got her dead to rights. They have caught her in the very act of adultery. But how? How did they go about catching her and this man in the act of adultery? I mean, let's face it, even in our world, most people who are going to have an affair are going to go out of their way to not get caught. Now, can you imagine the lengths a couple would go to under the law of Moses if they knew if anyone finds out about us, we will be dead. That is the punishment. That will be the end of our story. You better believe you're going to go to great lengths to make sure nobody knows about what's happening. So nobody just walked in on these two. This was a setup. They were trying to trap Jesus. Now, to our knowledge, no one made this woman do what she was doing. And, and there is no doubt that both her and the man she were with, they were guilty of sin. But these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, they were not innocent either. They're using this sinful act to try to set this woman up. But more importantly, they're using the sinful act to try and set Jesus up. As we continue reading in our text, this is them speaking to Jesus. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Okay, If Jesus would have said, you know guys, you're right. That is what the law says. She deserves death. Man, that would have really flown in the face of this whole you know, compassion thing that he had been trying to get across in his ministry. But on the other hand, had he said, you know guys, 
listen, we, we, everybody makes mistakes in life. I think you should give her another chance. Then they could say, this man has no respect for the law. This man is going against the very law of God. He has no credibility. So it's like either way, whatever Jesus might have said in that moment, he could have really hurt his credibility with the very people that he's trying to minister to. I can't imagine how anxious this poor lady must have been. Standing there in all her shame, alone because they didn't bring him to. And there she stands with all eyes on her, just waiting. Please, say something. Any answer. I don't care what the answer is right now. I just want to get this over with. Every eyes on her, except Jesus. From Jesus, there's not a condemning stare. From Jesus, there's no condescending remarks. You remember what Jesus did? He bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. I know you're like me. This is the part of the story. You go, what did he write? I mean, here is this woman. She's been caught in the act of adultery. She is here in front of everyone. The scribes and the Pharisees are here saying, you know, the law says we should stone her. Everybody's watching. He's been teaching all these people. Everybody's gathered around, hanging on his every word. What is he about to say? And he says nothing. He starts writing on the ground. But what was he writing? We don't know. There's a ton of speculation as to what he might have written. But we don't know. The Bible never makes any indication as to what he wrote. Who knows, maybe he, maybe he was writing out the very plan. You know, how they had gone about conspiring and how they had gone about setting this girl up before they brought him in their midst. Maybe he was writing out their individual names and their individual sins that they were guilty of behind closed doors. Maybe he was writing out some Old Testament Scripture that he thought might really prick them in the heart. Maybe he was writing the shopping list for later that day. I don't know. Like We have no idea what he was writing. But whatever he wrote, in that moment, it served a great purpose. It took the focus off of her and it put it on him. What's he doing? What's he going to say? Will he say executor or will he say pardoner? And so they kept pressing him as they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Notice what he did not do. He did not tell them to not carry out the law. He didn't. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He did not tell them that they could not fulfill the law the law of Moses. But nor did He say, you know, I've decided it's okay. That what's happened is, is not that big a deal. It's, it's, everything's going to be alright. No. What He did though, was in that moment, He forced them to look at themselves a little bit harder. 
And I tell you, church, I think this is a really important lesson for us in our own spiritual maturity. Should sin outrage us? Absolutely. It really should. We should become more upset over sin than what we probably do. However, before we get really, really upset about the sin of other people, we always need to be very mindful of our own personal sin. Why? If we are ever going to show people the grace and the mercy that they need to be shown, we need not ever forget how much grace and mercy we ourselves need. That were it not for the grace of God, there would be no hope for, for any of us. And so the last thing that we ever want to do is become so, so self-righteous and so judgmental that we get outraged about other people's sin without ever remembering our own, without ever being thankful for how much God has and continues to forgive us of and our own personal shortcomings. Now this is not to say that people shouldn't be held accountable for their sin because we all should. And ultimately, we all will. But when it comes to the sin of other people, our outrage, our outrage should be motivated by love. Our outrage, if you want to call it that, should come from a place where we're not seeking to destroy somebody because of what we see as their sinfulness. But it's coming from a place of love and grace and mercy, a place where we're wanting to help them. Not, not to hurt them. Because those are two very different paths. I think a, a spiritually mature person, as we strive to be, will be someone who understands balance. And, and the balance that I'm talking about here is that we will have a high expectation of the holiness of God in our lives and in the lives of others. God has set that bar very high for us. And we should acknowledge that. And we should be striving for that. But we should also be able to balance that with that amazing grace that He has so richly given to us that we too are willing to freely give it to other people. Let's continue on in our text. Verse 8, it says, Once more He bent down and rode on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before Him. So Jesus went back to riding in the ground, whatever He was riding. And they all began to disappear from the oldest to the youngest. They had been asked, had been told, <laughs> sure, you without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. So they began reflecting on self. And as they began reflecting on self from the oldest of them to the youngest, they left. Why the oldest? Well, I think it's because uh, those of us who are older, if we're honest, we have a lot more sin in our life. We just do. Because we've had a lot more years to live, and therefore we've made a lot more mistakes than those who are younger than us. And even though sometimes we like to, we like to point at the generation younger than us and say, oh my goodness, can you believe that they're doing this? And we do that because it makes us feel a little bit better about our own sin. 
sometimes as we get a little bit older in this life, we like to we like to reimagine our own youth. And we like to think that we were a lot better than what we really were. But we all make mistakes. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we put ourselves in a very dangerous position whenever we work to forget the sins of our past. So much so that we begin to think we had none. You know, if there was anyone there that day who could have carried out that death sentence, it was Jesus. Like John said a moment ago as he was presiding over the Lord's Supper, he mentioned how pure the blood of Jesus was. The blood of Jesus was sinless. If anybody could have thrown that first rock and the second and the third, it was Jesus. No one else present was without sin. He had zero sin. So why didn't He condemn her? Why didn't He carry out the law? Why didn't He fulfill? Why didn't He condemn her? She deserved it. Well, He's already told us in John 3.17 that He was sent into this world not to condemn it, but that the world through Him might be saved. He wasn't here to pass judgment. He was here to save. And while He saved this lady from a physical execution that day, He also made it, he made it possible for her to maybe know that spiritual life that's found only, only in Christ. Have you, ever, have you ever had moments in your life where maybe you just didn't think you were worthy? Maybe you reflect back on something in your past. Maybe it's something you're in the middle of right now in your present. Whatever it is, have you ever had those moments where you just did not feel like the grace of God, that the salvation afforded to you through the blood of Jesus, that you, you just were not worthy of that sacrifice? You weren't worthy of the forgiveness. Satan, Satan wants us to believe that we have no hope. Satan wants us to believe that we will never change. Satan wants us to believe that in the eyes of God, we have no value at all. That's what Satan wants us to believe. Here's what I want us to remember about Satan. He is the father of lies. There is no truth in Him. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus wants us to know the same way He wanted the woman to know. She absolutely had value in the eyes of God. And so do you and I. And the same mercy and the same grace that He showed to her that day, He wants to show to every one of us. We'll just let Him. You see, the forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of Jesus is... It's been made available for everyone. No matter the past mistakes we've made. But here's something I do think is important to remember. Even with the forgiveness of Christ, there are still consequences to our actions. 
Now this particular lady, on this particular day, she avoided a very serious consequence that was staring right in her face, and that was life and death. She avoided a consequence that by the law of Moses should have been hers. That's not to say she didn't have other consequences too. She may have had to go home to a husband who was absolutely broken hearted. Who didn't know if he would ever be able to trust her again. She may have had the consequence of being the town gossip for quite a while. I mean, you can only imagine her walking down the street in the days, weeks, and the months to follow. Anybody who sees her is going to go, y'all, y'all, y'all heard about that day that they brought her to the temple, didn't you? Man, what? I know you've heard. You didn't know. Oh, you didn't hear? Oh, let me tell you all about it. Consequences are no fun. Consequences are very real. Consequences are oftentimes beyond our control. And consequences are nobody's fault but ours. Don't ever forget that. Don't don't try to pass the buck and act like the consequences of, of life are somebody else's fault. It's not. It's mine and yours. For whatever the decisions we make in this life, whatever the good or bad choices we make, consequences, they rest on our shoulders. And and even if we don't like it, and even when we think it's not fair, and even when it hurts really, really deep, just remember that even through the consequences, that Jesus will continue to be with you in the same way that He's with us through any storm of life. If we will continue to have faith in Him, to, to trust Him and to believe Him, even through the consequences, whatever they may be. You know, sometimes people will take this passage and they'll misuse it terribly. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes people will take it and they'll say, well, you see, Jesus, He said, neither do I condemn you. Isn't Jesus awesome? Now, in His forgiveness, what Jesus was saying was, I don't condemn you for how you live. You, you live however you want to live. You be who you want to be. And that may be what we want to hear. And it sure is the message of the world around us. <laughs> but it's not really the message of Jesus. If that were the message of Jesus, He would have said, neither do I condemn you. Go and just continue to live your life for you. Go and live your life and and, and do whatever you need to do to be happy. I want you to go and I want you to live your life and I, I want you to be whoever you want to be. That's a real popular one right now, isn't it? He, he would have said, I want you to go and, and I want you to be with whomever you want to be with. That's what He would have said. But that's not what He did say. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. The expectation of Jesus is not that she would continue in her sin. The expectation of Jesus is that she'll stop it. That she will stop living the life that she's obviously been living. A life that she got caught up in. A a life where she was caught red-handed Jesus acknowledges that it was sin. Acknowledges that it's wrong. 
And because of the greater consequences, if she were to continue in sin, he says, I want you to go. And I, I don't want you to do this anymore. Forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that there won't be consequences. Sometimes there are. Forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we can just continue in sin. Do you remember what Paul wrote in Romans 6? What he wrote it in my mind is almost a sarcastic tone. He says, may we continue in sin so that grace may increase, so that grace may abound. He said, may it never be. He said, in other words, he's saying, look, should we just sin more so we can just get more grace from God? Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. He says, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. If you really understand the understand the forgiveness, if you really understand the grace, then you live up to the expectation that Jesus has set for you to go and sin no more. Now maybe for you this morning, maybe it's not adultery. But what is it? Because again, if you do a little bit of personal reflection, you probably don't have to dig too deep to figure out what your sins and struggles are. What is it that Jesus would say to you or to me? I don't, I don't condemn you. But as you leave here this morning, go and sin no more. Stop being such a gossip. Stop being so negative. Stop, stop not having faith. Stop being so prideful. Stop being so, so self-sufficient. Stop being so selfish. Stop being so materialistic. I don't know what He would say to you. But I know what He says to me. Maybe that's something that you would like for us out today. We would be honored to do just that. But you know, sometimes the idea of just stopping your sin it's, it's easier said than done, isn't it? It is. I'm the first to admit that. It definitely is. It can be a very challenging thing. Okay, so sometimes we need to do a couple things. One is we need to make up our mind. We need to decide within ourselves. I don't want to do this anymore. Not just because I feel guilty. Guilt is, a little bit of guilt is a good thing, okay? A little bit of guilt can go a long way. But then sometimes we can go too far with guilt. And guilt then can become a burden that God never intended for it to be. But a little bit of guilt should prick your heart from time to time in mind. A little bit of guilt is a, like a safety valve in us. Okay, but don't make it just about the little bit of guilt. Make up your mind, I don't want to continue to do these things because of how much Jesus loves me. And how much I love Him. And when I make up my mind that I want to go my way and sin no more, that I want to leave whatever it is I need to leave, that if that's my motivation because of my love for Him and my understanding of His love for me, it goes a lot further from day to day than just my guilt. And secondly, confess it. Whether it's in a public forum, in a public setting like this, or privately, confess it to someone. Have a conversation with one of our shepherds. Have a conversation with someone you're close to. Get it out, whatever it is, because whatever stays in, in the dark, it'll continue to fester and it'll continue to grow. But when it finally comes to light, man, it's amazing how much growth can occur. 
there's something in your life that we could help you with this morning. Won't you come as we stand and sing?